Yeah. The Bar Podcast. Uh, Biblical uh, reform, let's uh, go. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to the bar. Come on and pull up a seat. And open up your Bible. What a wonderful feast. The living bread. And we're discussing what it means for the streets, the inner cities, and the burbs, and every person we meet. This where we challenge worldviews that we hear from world news. In light of the scripture, yo, we are here to serve you. We're your source for resources to help you on your way as you battle mean forces. Yo, this is for the people who can see the importance of sound theology and the scripture that support it. Yeah, this is for the truth lovers, biblically reforming, preaching Christ to the nations. Yeah, the nations. Welcome to the modern reformation. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the bar. It's your guest host David Knight from Exposit the Word, standing in for Dwayne. Different host, same show, same top top guests so let's get to it because i am super excited to be coming through your speakers your earbuds wherever you're listening to the bar and we are grateful that you are listening and we love to start the show off by thanking you the listeners for tuning in and supporting the show and just like we do every tuesday we bring you another awesome guest and this one is no different hello and welcome thomas davis Hello. Thanks for having me with you, David. Oh, thank you, Thomas. Thomas, tell us everything that we need to know about you in 60 seconds. Uh, okay, so um, uh, my name is Thomas Davis. Uh, I'm 40 years old. Uh, I'm married to Una. We have three children, Tom, John and Annie. I am a minister in the Free Church of Scotland in Carloway on the Isle of Lewis, which is way up in the northwest of Scotland. Um, and I'm six foot four, so I'm very tall. So there's a there's a fascinating fact. <laughs> Very good. So you make a very good goalkeeper, Thomas. Oh, well, maybe once upon a time. Can I get old and slow now, I think? so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The reason why we're speaking today is you've just written this brilliant brand new book, God is God and You Are You, Finding Confidence for Sharing Our Faith. Tell us all about that, Thomas. Yeah, it's it's a book uh, that's really all about evangelism, but... um, it's maybe slightly different to to the kind of books that we would normally read on evangelism. So often when I've read books about sharing my faith, it's it's been very much about, you know, how to do it. And those kind of books are really, really helpful. I've read read several over the years that have been been brilliant. Um my book's trying to do something maybe just slightly different. Rather than talking about the how of evangelism, it's actually trying to give some of the theological truths that tell us why we can do it. And so it's really trying to give that foundational um, basis to, to give us confidence so that we can then go out and share our faith. Yeah, that's a key word, isn't it, when it comes to evangelism, confidence. Yeah. In preparing to write this book, what are some of the main reasons you found for people lacking confidence when it comes to evangelism? I think one of the things that I've, I've found uh, in people and in myself uh, is that that it's so easy to think that when it comes to sharing our faith, that it's it really is the kind of... Um, it's the kind of thing that 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 only a select few are good at. So you think, yeah, you know, that you can think of people who are really good at sharing their faith. It seems to be easy. It doesn't matter who they talk to. It just it just kind of seems to be effortless for them. And then you look at yourself and you think, I'm not like that. And I think that's definitely how I feel. And I think that that's how the majority of Christians feel. That that you know, it's it's just the work of the select few. And I guess what I'm trying to do in this book is to show that that's not the case, that actually God God can use us all. Um, and really, you know, we, we we don't need to change. We don't need to have a personality transplant. We don't need to automatically become, um, you know, a Tim Keller or a John Piper or a Rico Tice. Um, you know, these guys are actually just normal guys as well, like the rest of us. And God can use us all, you know. Yeah, that's one of the encouragements that you offer in the book is by reminding the reader of how God throughout history has chosen to use weak, flawed people. Tell us about that, Thomas. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to remember. You know, um, so often when we when we think of like the big names from history that that God has used, you know, whether that's, um, you know, uh, people in the Bible, like like Abraham, Moses, the Apostle Paul, Timothy, whether that's people in the history of the church, like um, uh Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, or some of the uh, some of the great missionaries uh, that we've seen over the years. When you actually, you know, when you think of these people, you can think, oh man, these people are just heroes and they're incredible. But when you actually look at their lives, you discover that they had a lot of frailties and weaknesses. Um, 
very often they they, they struggled with poor health. Um, uh, John Calvin is a great example of that. Not a very robust man in terms of health at all. Um, yeah. And you know, lots of people you know didn't didn't really have you know obvious abilities. Gladys Aylward is a great example. You know, she was did a wonderful mission uh, work as a missionary, but yet was kind of seen as you know, not, you know, initially not seen as capable at all. So I think it's really important to recognize that, 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 that God, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't pick the superstars. He just uses, That's right. uses yeah. ordinary people. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So do you still get nervous? And what tips do you have for anyone that does, Thomas? So I definitely get nervous. Uh, I I think of you know, of, of all the different aspects of my Christian life, um, sharing my faith is the one that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not good at, um, and I, I get frustrated uh, by that. And you know, you do get nervous. You get nervous uh, that you're going to say the wrong thing. You get nervous that um, you you know you might uh, spoil a friendship with somebody. You, you get nervous that you might actually just do more to put them off. And I think that the 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 biggest tip I would give, um, and that's this is really what the, the whole book is trying to do, is to say that actually the the the, the antidote to all of that is to remember our theology and to actually really take our theology into that conversation thinking yeah. you know i find myself thinking okay i want to go and even today i want to go to somebody uh in our village and i want to invite them to church and i'm nervous about doing that and i'm thinking oh man what if i stuff it up what if it doesn't go well what is and what i need to do is to, to stop thinking about thomas and to think right god is with me as i do this and god wants to use me and he's able to use me. And the minute I start thinking like that, I can feel the nerves actually just, just disintegrate and and you feel yeah. an excitement and you're like, right, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to go and do this. <laughs> yes. So that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. It's like, we've got to remember our theology and apply it to the situation. Yeah, yeah, excellent. How important is prayer when it comes to evangelism? I mean, prayer is just absolutely central. And I think that that's something that, you know, is, is a... Um, again, it's 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 something that we we know, but it, it has to be more than just something that we know. It has to be something that we actually take uh, take seriously, and that we we recognise. You know, as we want to share our faith, we want we want that to 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 be. We want prayer to be step one, uh, and we want it to be, you know, the step that the part of every step, and we want it to be the last step. And I think that's one thing where I would say it's really important that that's not just as individuals. That's something that we can really. Uh, share with our church family um, yes, and to, to yes, actually yes. Be, be saying to one another, okay, you know, I've been talking a lot to my to my colleague or to my friend or to my family member, please pray, please, uh, let's, please saturate this in prayer um, while I go on and ask him. And I just think that prayer, um, prayer gives God the chance to show us how amazing he is. And I think yeah. that that's, uh, that's something that we've got to remember. Yeah. I think one thing I've noticed many times when praying with regards to evangelism is is that we can forget that Jesus came to save sinners. And sometimes I can, even myself, I fall into the trap of thinking that I'm somehow trying to twist God's arm to do something that he doesn't actually want to do, right? As if I'm, you know, exactly. more gracious exactly. than God. It's dangerous, yeah. isn't it, Thomas? Yeah, exactly. It is. It absolutely is. It is dangerous, definitely. I think that's, uh, prayer is just brilliant because it just brings our focus back onto God, which is, is what we need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You start off the book by reminding the reader of four awesome truths about God and what that means for us in regards to sharing our faith. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, the the I suppose in many ways one of the passages that inspired the book is um Exodus three and four, um, where God appears to Moses uh, in the burning bush, and you know the great, I mean the the great theological truth that's revealed there is God saying, "I am who I am," and that really is that that's like this that is that is step one, page one of all systematic theology. God is who He is, and yeah. and He reveals Himself to us, and so He's you know God's come to accomplish his purposes and and yet he's using moses who is completely unprepared and unready and yet that's the person he's going to use and and in that passage you see these four amazing truths being uh, revealed about god the fact that that god is sovereign so you know he is he is the one who's in control even though the israelites are under the oppression of pharaoh god is actually the one who's in control not pharaoh God's the one who takes the initiative. It's not Moses who starts anything. He's just having a normal day looking after the sheep. Um, and it's God who takes the initiative. 
you see God's power, you know, the bush itself, you know, you see it burning, but it's not consumed, that that inexhaustible power of God. And you see the fact that God's compassionate and, you know, he's heard the cry of the Israelites. He's not forgotten his covenant with Abraham and he's going to act to help them. And so you've got these amazing theological truths, you know, that God is sovereign, that God takes the initiative, that God is powerful, that God's compassionate. And what I'm trying to say in the chapter is, is we need to take all of those truths and all the other truths that God that the Bible reveals, we need to take all of those truths into our conversations for evangelism. We think, okay, God is sovereign. Uh, he is the one who's in control as I go and, and try to talk to someone or as I send them a text. He's the one who's taking initiative. He's actually ahead of me. He's not behind me. He's ahead of me in this. He is powerful. Can you know if I want to text somebody and invite them to church, I want to talk to someone about the, the gospel, can God open their eyes? Of course he can. Of course he can. You know, and 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 actually, most importantly of all, God God cares about that person even more than we do, and and His compassion is 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 just at the heart of that good news that we want to share with them. Yeah, so helpful. I, I think when we realise that we bring so little to the actual party when it comes to evangelism, it's really helpful, isn't it? I mean, I know yeah. you preach as well, Thomas, and I'm sure you've had the experience as well where you, you know you, you've preached a sermon, you know what you've said. And someone will come up to you after and say, oh, I really like that bit where you said, and I'll, I'll reference something you, you didn't even say or didn't even go near. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. the Holy yeah. Spirit works within yeah. people. Absolutely. I fully manuscript my sermon, so I know what I say, you know, word for word. Yeah. And yet people yeah. come up and, and, and you just see the Holy Spirit ministering to people where they are right sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's where, yeah, that's where it's just so, so encouraging to remember that, that we're just instruments in his hands, which is. Yeah, yeah. 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 You spoke about bringing our theology into evangelism, and obviously a key part of that that you've touched on is God's sovereignty. How does God's sovereignty impact how we should view evangelism, and what is a ditch that people can fall into when applying this incorrectly? Yeah, I think that's a massive question because this this is a ditch. Um, uh, sometimes it's even maybe bigger than a ditch. It can be like an absolute canyon that people can't get past. But, you know, people think, okay, God is God is sovereign. God is the one who takes the initiative. And actually, it's all of grace. You know, that's our great reformed Augustinian theology, all of that. But yet people can take that and say, okay, God's sovereign. God takes the initiative. I just have to wait till he does it. There's not really anything I can do. And and the result can be this kind of passive approach to evangelism, whereby we we almost think, well, what can we do? We can't do anything without God, the Holy Spirit. We, you know, our efforts aren't going to We can't convert anybody. We can't open anybody's eyes. We need God to do it. And and I've, I've come across that so many times um, among people in, in my own church setting. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a stumbling block that, that, that loads of people can fall into. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's a, you know, one level you think, OK, it's, it's good that people recognize that God is sovereign and that we can't do anything about the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. But it's actually a kind of very, um, it's a very distorted or imbalanced view of god's sovereignty because um you're only taking one tiny aspect of god's sovereignty you're saying okay god's sovereign he's in control but what we forget is that if god is sovereign he's in charge which means if he asks us to do something we do it (laughs) and i think that that is crucial there's a great quote from a a theologian, your listeners may have never heard of him, but a fellow called William Cunningham, who was a big, big theologian in Scotland in the middle of the 19th century, he uh, he has a wonderful quote that I'd love to just uh, to just read out. Uh, he said, "The sole ground or warrant for men's act in offering pardon and salvation to their fellow men." In other words, the 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 sole ground for going out with the gospel, the sole ground for offering pardon and salvation to their fellow man is the authority and command of God in his word. Mm. We have no other warrant than this. We need no other, and we should seek or desire none. And I just think that's brilliant. It's like, look, God is saying do it. Just shut up and do it. <laughs> I think it's just a great, a great thing. Yeah. I think that, that's what yeah. the sovereignty of God, it should actually motivate us, not, not, not make us stop at all. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lack of obedience. It's, it's the equivalent of um, Noah turning around saying, well, you're going to save us from the flood anyway, so I'm not going to bother making the ark, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and you see that balance all the way through Scripture. I remember uh, hearing a great um, uh, 
Tim Keller sermon where he he said, you know, when the fire fell at the top of Mount Carmen uh, with Elijah, it didn't fall on mud; it fell on an altar that he'd built. You know, and I thought that's yes. thought yeah. that's yeah, absolutely yeah, that's true. true. So, yeah, very good. Really good. Very good. In our postmodern world, many people we speak to on the streets appear to be uninterested in the claims that the Bible is infallible and God's word. Why must we fight for this truth? And what are the, the, uh, you know some tips in in doing so, Thomas? Yeah, that can be that can be a big big challenge today. And and in so many ways, you know, we we face a kind of what in some ways in lots of ways feels like like a unique set of challenges in terms of uh, our culture. <laughs> I think um, one of the things that we we have to actually recognise um, is that you know although we do have this postmodern world where you know the kind of you know the philosophical description of the world would be that people don't like the idea of absolute truth, people don't like um, you know a meta narrative, a big explanation for everything. Everyone wants just their own individual truth, their own individual story. I think one of the most important things we need to recognise is that people don't actually think that. And they don't actually believe that. Like you, you look at, you know, you look at all the scandal with um, the parties at Downing Street during COVID lockdown. Nobody, nobody says, you know, oh, well, they can have their interpretation of the rules, and we can have ours. We can each have. Right. Nobody right. said that. Everybody said, "What happened? What is the truth?" And and actually, you know, it's a reminder that people actually crave truth. Um, and I think that we need to actually, uh, you know, recognise that 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 we've actually we, we're offering something that people are craving, and maybe sometimes we've made the mistake of of you know thinking we've seen that postmodern mindset as a threat, and we think okay we need to defend ourselves from that, and we can be quite confrontational in the way that we do that. What I think we need to recognise is that that postmodern postmodern mindset is is a thirst that only the gospel can quench. That mm. that is a search for answers. It's a search for truth. It's a search for some kind of meaning. And people are looking in themselves to find it, which is the wrong place to look, and it will never satisfy them. And to recognise actually, we we have got the only thing that will quench that thirst. Uh, and so if we can we can show, explain, and live out the gospel um, in the lives of these people. They are, they are going to see, wow, we, we, yeah. our thirst has been quenched in a way that theirs just isn't. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. How important is it that we keep our evangelism gospel focused? And what are some mistakes that people can make when they don't? Yeah, there's probably lots that we can see here. And I guess a few things that can that can come to mind. Um, you know, focusing on the gospel is just absolutely, absolutely crucial. And I think that you know, there's a, a few things. You know, when you think about the word gospel, to, to, to bring in mind, maybe I'll maybe I'll say three things briefly. Um, I think the one uh, first thing is that you know, gospel means good news. Um, that's that's what it means. And I think that when we share the gospel with people, we we absolutely want to make sure that people are coming away with good news. Um, and sometimes we can think with our evangelism that actually, you know, no, we need people to realise. You know, we, we can almost kind of we want to kind of hit them with with a uh, with with the reality of sin and 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 judgment. And yes, we do need to do that, but we need to do that in the context of good news. And um, sometimes the gospel can presented can be presented in a way that only sounds and feels like bad news, and that's not yeah. effective in evangelism. It's also so important to remember that 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 the the good news of the gospel is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And and I think that I've made this mistake so many times where I've tried to talk about Jesus, and all I've actually done is talk about stuff that's related to Jesus, whether that's sort of maybe church or uh, or something vaguely connected to theology or something. And I, I mentioned that in the book, you know, that all of that is, you know, it's, we, we think it's talking about Jesus, but it's not actually talking about Jesus. And I've I've made that mistake, you know, where, um, you know, sometimes we've we, we, we've uh, you know we've lost that focus on Jesus. And maybe the third thing is that sometimes, like, um, yeah. Sometimes we're maybe guilty of, um, you know, wanting in our evangelism actually to boost maybe our own church more than just the the church of Christ. And it's like maybe like I, I want I want my congregation to grow. I want I want and 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 I mean sometimes and I've done this myself and I am ashamed of this that you hear you hear of growth in other churches and you're like oh hmm, okay right and it's like come on you know like that so 
I think that you know that kind of um, again that's a lack of gospel focus. That that becomes my my church focus, yeah. my and that that again is the wrong the wrong place to to put an emphasis. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think another risk I've I've seen sometimes is churches can become so busy with things under the banner of evangelism, you know, cake sales and jumble sales and mm, all yeah. sorts of sales and coffee mornings, but actually theology the bible yeah. jesus never jesus. actually gets mentioned from one month to the next exactly. right exactly that is that's so true yeah yeah we are talking about jesus isn't actually about jesus and that and that's what you know we, we definitely want to just keep keep coming back to him that's what we need to do yeah yeah how should thinking of eternity fuel our evangelism i think that's uh this is a really important thing to think about and it's one that i neglect so often and, and there's a there's a chapter in the book about about that one of the things that I I had never noticed, but was was pointed pointed out to me, um, I think when I was uh, at seminary, is that if you look at if you read uh, Paul's letters, he barely goes a page or a paragraph without mentioning something connected to eternity, something connected to the last day, and and you you just see this kind of relentless concern in Paul for for the last day and everything that he's doing on this day is connected to that last day and that perspective you know you can you can see once you see it but once it's once it was pointed out to me it was like oh my goodness this is everywhere i can see it you know i can see it again and again and again and then i look at my own life and i think well okay you know uh, you know how often do i think about eschatology and and the answer is oh well occasionally you know and, and that's not that that's not the way it should be that actually the reality of eternity the reality of the last day should be in my mind every single week uh, I was for three years. I was I was working in Edinburgh uh, as an assistant minister, and the, the the minister I was alongside was Derek Lamont um, in his congregation, St Columbus Free Church in Edinburgh. And one of the one of the phrases Derek was always using was "time is short, time is short, time is short." And I thought it was I've never forgotten that it was so helpful yeah. um, to just recognise look, this is an opportunity, and we have to have to take it. And I think that again can sometimes you know be. That can be the energy that 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 can uh, overcome the 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 fear of you know what a moment might bring when we talk to somebody and you know, sometimes you can you know again I'm hoping to go and see a guy this afternoon and I'm thinking oh man I'm a bit nervous about this how will it go if I stop yeah. and think about eternity even for ten seconds I'm like I'm getting in the car I'm going yeah 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 so good so good you've got a, a, another helpful chapter in the book talking about grace explain to us what grace is and why it's so important that we understand this important aspect of the gospel yeah grace is is, is really like it's at the heart of 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 the gospel and um you know, the, the word grace basically means gift and i think that that's a really helpful starting point it's basically talking about a gift and one of the things that i try to to unpack in that um uh, that chapter is the fact that you know when we talk about a gift like grace as a gift, we're talking about a gift that's completely undeserved. But when you think about a gift, there's 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 two aspects to that. There's what the gift involves for the receiver, and there's what the gift involves for the giver. And in the gospel, you just see this incredible um, contrast between, you know, uh, a gift that costs God, the Father, His Son, and yet for us, it costs nothing. It's given yeah. freely, and we just come in faith. And and you know, you just have this this amazing balance between the magnitude of God's generosity uh, and uh, the incredible blessings that we receive um, that that just aren't deserved. And I think that that you know is is so important um, as we share the gospel. And a couple of things I tried to say in that chapter that you know we we evangelize because of grace. You know, so we're we're going out with the gospel because God's grace is a reality. And you know, I can I can look at my window, I can see houses with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, and the gospel can be offered to all of them because God is willing to be gracious to all of them. Doesn't matter what they've done or not yeah. done in their lives. So because of that, we can go out, knock on any door, any background, any anything, and yeah. say, you know, this is this this is an amazing gift for you. I think it's also really important though as well that we evangelize with grace. You know, so so we meet somebody, they might be, you know, they might they might have a very checkered past, they might um might be easy to talk to, they might be hard to talk to, they might show an interest, then they might stop, it might be very kind of frustrating, it might be a long haul. Um, and we can, you know, we can maybe easily be tempted to sort of say, you know, well, they don't deserve for us to carry on, you know 
trying to reach them. And it's like, well, <laughs> the minute you start saying they don't deserve, you've departed right. from this, you know, so it's yeah. so important to them. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about those difficult people because I think this is one of the big contributors as to why people can lack confidence sometimes when going out. How do you deal with difficult questions? Yeah, I think difficult questions is one of the big fears we have, isn't it? You know, that we think that okay, we're gonna we're gonna face um, we're gonna talk about the gospel, we're gonna we're gonna face difficult questions. I think there's um, two or three things I think I'd, I'd say. Um, one is you know, just a more general point that I think is important for us all to remember. Um, it's definitely been my experience that that as I've learned more about theology, I have felt better equipped to face questions. And I think that that's a really just a, just as a general point, it's really important in terms of our discipleship that you know just learning more about theology, growing in our knowledge, you know, reading good books, spending time with people who can help teach us. That's just a that's just a positive, helpful thing to do that will build your confidence with 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 dealing with difficult questions. And um, uh, having said that, in the kind of actual moment of a difficult question, I think there's just there's two or three things that are really important to remember. One is it's absolutely okay to say I don't know what I'm not sure, and that is just massive. You've, you've got to remember to be able to say that. You know that you just say actually I, I don't know, and uh, and and that it's really important to remember that you know when you do that, the person's not going to say oh well they're useless. The person's going to I think after people will find that endearing and be like oh well okay fair enough. Um, I think it's also really wise to say okay. I'm not sure, but I could I could find out a bit more and we could talk about it again. Or I could ask someone at church who I think will be able to help us with that. So you can you can actually you can almost kind of build the next opportunity for the next conversation right. through that to say, well, let's let's look at that again. Um but I would also say one other thing to really to, to remember is that, you know, if you ask a difficult question, uh it's always good to actually say say to them, um, what do you think? And so you could say, well, I'm, I'm not sure, it could be this, could be that. What do you think? And then try and get their perspective because you know that that will maybe give you an insight into to to where you know where they sit in terms of you know some of their big beliefs, uh, what kind of what ways in which they're maybe uh, close to the gospel or far away from the gospel or confused or whatever. Um, you know, never be afraid to sort of just just ask them for their opinion as well. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. And what about particularly difficult people when you're speaking to someone and it doesn't feel like you're making any progress naturally, they're actually just being difficult almost on purpose. How do you try and deal with those, Thomas? Again, you know, that can be that can be that can be tricky. Um I think that, you know, it's it probably the, the, the thing that comes to my mind there is that, you know, it's it's important not to kind of fight fire with fire, you know. And I think that, you know, sometimes if, if somebody is being deliberately difficult um or deliberately argumentative um it's not likely to be helpful if you just entered into a kind of a ding-dong argument about about something you know there's 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 no you know there's no real point in, in doing that um you know i often think you know like um so i you, know, you sometimes you sometimes see people you know who uh sort of see like maybe people who will go door to door from uh, other perspectives, like a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or whatever. Yeah. You know. um, like no no matter what they say to me, I am not going to listen to them. Like I'm not just I'm not going to. I'm not going to believe what they believe. I'm just not going to do that, you know. And and I think that, you know, we could ding dong all day, you know, and it's just not going to get anywhere. And I think it's it's important, you know, that we 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 don't just, you know, get into those Fight. We don't take that bait. Often, you know, people would. Um, I should say, I'm not trying to say that that Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are difficult people. I'm just trying to say that 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 the argument, the argument approach is, is not always helpful. I think the thing about about difficult people is that you know, actually, uh, if you look at the example of Jesus, you know, he did he did two brilliant things. One, he he spent time with them, and he just got to know them and built a relationship with them. I think that's crucial. Um, but he was also ready to ask people questions. And I think that's important that sometimes difficult people, you're better actually presenting them with questions rather than trying to force answers down their throat. Yeah, 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 good. In speaking with other evangelists over the years, I don't think my experience is uncommon. Often the most difficult people to talk to on the streets are people that already claim to be Christians. Is this your experience? And if so, why do you think this is? 
Yeah, I think I can I can definitely echo that. I can remember um I can remember a a, a time when um I was living in a town in, in Scotland called Kirkcaldy and you know we'd meet some people who, who who weren't Christians at all and in a way it was quite easy to sort of invite them to church and say you know would you come, uh, but then you would meet people who 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 did go to church regularly but you know it was. It was a church where I'm not sure if the gospel would have been preached, and that's much harder because you're like, oh, yeah. how how do I, you know, how do I approach this? And again, I think that you know, I think that in that 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 situation, you know, I mean, I, I don't in any way want to kind of dismiss what God can do. God can do anything, but a conversation on the street in a moment with someone in that position. I think is unlikely to ever get anywhere. I think what 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 that person needs is 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 a friendship and to get to know them. And it's going to take them time to see that actually the 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 place that Jesus has in your life is different to what he has in, in their lives. And I think that I think those situations are probably going to be a longer a longer game. Um, but again, you know, like God's, uh, you know. I think God expects us to be ready to to play the long game in terms of uh, yeah. working with people. Yeah. yeah. In many ways, we were forced to, over lockdown, embrace technology. I think we've all become experts in how to use Zoom, haven't we? <laughs> how have yes. you guys embraced technology to help share the gospel, Thomas? Yeah, so I think um, you know Zoom. Zoom was amazing in terms of, of, of building uh, uh, opportunities and, and forcing us to, to, to do stuff. As a church, you know, we've 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 uh, we had to do that, uh, and it's been been a really helpful thing. But for me, um, my kind of enthusiasm for technology probably um, uh, predated COVID. So um, uh, before I became a minister, I I, I loved uh, I was an engineer, and I love. I always think in terms of diagrams, all that kind of stuff. Oh, and um, you, you actually yeah. see a couple of diagrams in the book. Um, I had to restrain myself. I would put diagrams on every page if I would have <laughs> been able to. Uh, yeah. And, you know, technology is a great means for, for doing that. So um, uh, one of the things that I find really helpful in our own church services is um, uh, we've got a setup where I've got a touchscreen laptop on my lectern that I can draw on. That, that then gets displayed on the screen behind me. So, you know, I find it really helpful if you're looking at a passage, you can, you can, I can circle keywords, show people where connections are and things like that. So, so in our church service, that, that level of technology is really good. Um, then, you know, obviously the, the, the use, use of kind of live streaming and stuff like that has been a really positive thing as well. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a tiny village in Carlow in the Isle of Lewis and yet, yet we've got people li- listening, you know, tuning into our services. Um, all across the UK, somebody from India, people uh, in South America. I mean, that's amazing. So, so, so the doors that that's all opened are incredible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm sure there'll be people listening that will have shared the gospel with a friend or family member before, which got rejected. What advice would you have for that person that wants to try again? I think it's it's really, um, really, really important uh, to uh, you know just to remember that it doesn't all have to happen in one conversation. I think that that is, um, uh, I think that's an easy mistake to make, to think that we need to, we, we need to take people from um, being unregenerate to being fully committed disciples in the course of a, a 10 minute conversation. That doesn't matter, that virtually never happens. And I think it's so, so important for us to remember that that, you know, our conversation is just, is just one, one step in in a in a process um i mean we can't be sure because we know we're not told explicitly in scripture but i think of nicodemus you know who who i think by the end of john's gospel looks the indication to me is that that he was a follower of jesus um that seems to have been a gradual process and even even the conversation where jesus said the words of john 3 16 mm. wasn't enough to 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 change Nicodemus in that moment, it was just part of the way in which God was working in his heart, and and I think that that's a really important thing to remember. That you know, your 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 conversation might have felt like it hadn't gone well. Um, you know, you might have thought oh, I didn't I didn't didn't say everything I wanted to say. I mean, one thing you've got to remember: you will always think of the thing you wished you said half an hour later. 
I'll come off this interview and in half an hour I'll be thinking, oh, I wish I had said this. You know, that's always what happens. And um, but you know, but God is able to just use use that in in amazing ways. And I think back to my own conversion, it wasn't one conversation, it was a hundred. And I think almost all the people who who God used in my own journey to faith, they probably have no idea just how important they were in terms of, of, of taking me to faith. And, uh, and I think you, you've definitely got to remember that um, uh, and just, 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 yeah, just keep, keep going with that reality in your, in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Some people think that evangelism is only successful when we see people repent and believe, but tell us why that's not really a helpful metric to, to measure evangelism. Yeah, this is something that uh, that you know, in 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 my, uh, thinking about the book and in, in in looking at this over the years, that I, I had never really thought of myself, and I was actually really helped by um uh, by reading a book by Rico Tice called Honest Evangelism, and um I, I mentioned that in the book where he he talks about witnessing, and he was saying, you know, we think that the goal of 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 witnessing is conversion, you know, that that you know, if if someone doesn't come to faith, I've failed, and he said the goal of witnessing is not conversion the goal of witnessing is witnessing that's That's your job to be a witness and for me that was just a massive light bulb light bulb moment because i realized actually yeah that that is that's what i need to do because the rest is god's work and again i knew that from my theology but i left my theology behind when i tried to talk about my my faith and i thought oh it all depends on me and of course it doesn't you know and i I think that's what's what's so crucial. You know, if you take the parable of the sower as an example, you know, four different uh, types of soil, um, only one actually bears fruit. So if you have four gospel conversations, chances are three of them will be bad. <laughs> three of them won't go very well. You know, maybe one of them will. You know, and I, I mean, yeah. it's not as precise as that in terms of proportion, but I think it's just helpful to be reminded of that. Actually, you know, you might have four conversations with a person, the same person. You might come away from three of them thinking, ah, it didn't go as well as I wanted to. But then the fourth, it, it might be like, oh, but that one was good. And just to, rem- to for that to be our expectation, uh, I think if we have the wrong expectations, then we're, we're on the path to 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 nowhere from the very beginning. If we think, okay, right, I'm going to psych myself up for this conversation. I'm going to play about it, and it's got to go well. That's the wrong expectation. Just, yeah. I won't going to have this conversation. I'm going to say what I want to say, and I'm going to leave the rest to God. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah, so good. And I think that's where the risk of then cherry picking parts of a gospel as to I want to make this sound as attractive as possible and I'm not going to mention sin or hell and just mention you know yeah, the exactly. benefits of being in Christ and it, it can become dangerous can't it it, it absolutely can you know and I think I think that's that again is is, is you know that's putting ourselves above God where, where we think okay I, I need to kind of uh, I need to filter out what I think is 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 suitable and you know again that that that's a kind of failure to recognize just what what God can use and and I think that's the amazing thing that God's word like God's spirit and God's word will pierce their heart and 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 he will decide what what's going to pierce their heart and it and it might be you know it might be the message of just how incredible God's love is it might be the message of how massive eternity is it might be the message that that says you know look sin is actually is more serious than anything else and yeah. you know and we just need to present the whole counsel of God and let him decide what he's going to use That's to right. pierce that person's heart yeah yeah so good so good what's some tips for equipping the whole of the church family in evangelism i think one of the things that i would really want to say uh, in regard to this is 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 i guess what I'm, one of the key things that i'm trying to get at uh, in the book when you know the title is god is god and you are you and that you are you part of it is is really trying to emphasize that that god uses the the massive diversity of people that we have in a church family and and that's that's I suppose maybe the big corrective that i'm trying to offer in the book to sort of rather than thinking okay you know yeah you've got the really good youth worker or you've got the really good um you know elder who's who's just great at talking to people okay let's let let them do the evangelism you know because because the rest of us aren't aren't like that no, I don't think that's the case. I mean, yes, they, they may have a particular gift in evangelism, fantastic, and, and God will use them in really powerful ways. But he'll still use us as well, you know, and yeah. and he'll use us as we are. And I would I would really want a, you know the whole church family to realize, okay, I can I can take the thing that I'm good at 
and I can I can use that as a channel for evangelism. So that's one thing I would definitely say. I think the other thing that I would really want to sort of encourage in a church family is, is not to have an individualistic approach to evangelism. And I think sometimes that can be the, the thing that we have is like, okay, right, I must have my conversation. I must invite my person. I must do this. Like we're doing that together. Let's let's pray for one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's hear how it's going. You know, yeah. one of the things that I think yeah. is a massive help is if we're going to our Bible study group in the middle of the week or if we're, we're, we're talking after church on Sunday, you know, if you're talking to three Christian friends and saying, you know what, I've got a colleague, I'd love to ask them to church. If you've got another three Christians around you saying, yes, go for it. We'll pray for you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. That encouragement is just a, you know, a real help in terms of yeah, uh, what we what we can do. So the whole church can really be a powerhouse of support and of opportunity for the work of evangelism. Yeah, brilliant. What a fascinating conversation, Tom. has really enjoyed it so far. We're about to take a very quick break and then we'll be back to ask you the three signature bar questions. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So, Thomas, as you know, every single guest that comes onto the bar gets asked these three very important questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) So, question one. What kind of music do you listen to? Okay, I've got a quite a varied taste in music, um, but I would say uh, my single favourite uh, band that I listen to is a band called Runrig. Now, you might not have heard of Runrig. Um, they're a Scottish band. They had a career of about 40 years from 1973, um, 45 years, I think, 1973 through to 2018. Yeah. Um, so they're a Celtic rock band and they are outstanding. So if you have not heard of Runrig, get on Spotify, search Runrig and and discover your new favorite band. So I I, I love Run Rig. Alongside that, love love a variety of things. I quite I used I play the guitar, so quite like rock music. Uh, I like um I like you know various uh various guys like um Shane and Shane, Big Daddy Weave, Third Day, things like that. I like all that. Love uh love kind of some of your kind of classic kind of eighties nineties rock. Um uh. I'm trying to think what's in my players. Huey Lewis in the news. I love them. Things like that. Just, just all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's what you spread Basically, yourself anything, very. Wa- yeah, yeah, anything that's never played on Radio One. That's probably what I like. <laughs> yeah. You've done a good job of making sure you don't offend anybody by by mentioning almost every genre of music there. <laughs> so it's well done. Yeah, apart from modern <laughs> stuff, it's a uh, yeah, like yeah, ten yeah. years I'm hopeless with. So, yeah. I don't think anyone likes that. If I'm honest. <laughs> next signature bar question what book or books are you currently reading okay so i have a bad habit of reading three or four books at once uh so yeah. um so i do i mean I don't, I don't want to sound like a kind of theology nerd but i do just love reading theology books um uh one of my favorite uh sets of books is um a, a set called two thousand years of christ's power by uh nick needham uh he was, yeah, yeah. he was church history professor at highland theological college for many years and this is a five volume book all about church history his fifth volume just came out earlier this year it's all about the 18th century uh brilliant i love it it's just it's so easy to read and it's a fantastic insight into um uh, into the history of the church so you know it's a, it's a great starting point for, for church history i've also been um working my way through uh biblical critical theory by christopher watkin that's been really interesting so that's a that's a kind of that's a big thick one i don't usually read books that thick i'm just slowly working my way through that and uh 
enjoying that. It's a, it's a great, you know, it's just it's walking through the whole of scripture, you know, just in, in terms of, you know, the uh, just going through the big cat- big biblical theology and um, redemptive history storyline, but a- yeah. applying, you know, key things to the cultural setting that we're in today. So I like that. Yeah. Uh, and um, a friend of mine has co-written a book uh, on neo-Calvinism. Uh, and so I bought that book. It's, it's called Neo-Calvinism and Introduction by Cory Brock and uh, Grace Utanto. Um, and that's talking about the theology of Herman Bavink and Abraham Kuyper uh, in the Netherlands in the late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, and yeah, I find that that's that's really interesting. It's, it's, it's something that I, I want to learn more about. And so uh, I quite like that. So um, there are probably three... I'm probably not always that heavy in terms of what I'm reading, but that's what I'm reading. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, and all, all, all good. Yeah, very good. And, and what about yourself? Are you planning on um, writing any more books? Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to. I would, would love to to to, to write a, a, another uh, another book or two. I I recently complete, completed some postgraduate studies, so I'm hoping that that might uh, might result in a book um, in the next year or two. And um, the, the book I published, God is God and You Are You, was with Christian Focus. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do something with them again in the next uh, in the next couple of years, if possible. Yeah. Very good. Well, when we're going to be listening to this podcast, so hopefully that will plant a seed. Yeah, <laughs> Last signature bar question. What podcast or sermons do you listen to, if any? Okay, so I give I guess two or three I'd love to highlight here. First one's not a not actually a podcast, but in terms of online sermons, uh, one person who I've listened to over the years who I've benefited from immensely is Eric Alexander. So Eric Alexander was a minister in Glasgow, um, and just amazing preacher, amazing preacher. And uh, he just died earlier than this year, earlier this year, and he was um. Just, yeah, amazing. And so uh, ericalexander.co.uk, you can get his sermons on there. So I've listened to him a lot uh, over the years and uh, benefited immensely from from him. Uh, other podcasts, uh, I, enjoy, um, I enjoy listening to Alistair Begg, enjoy listening to Tim Keller. Um, I enjoy listening to a co- podcast called Grace in Common podcast, which again is... Um, uh, the guy who wrote the Neo-Calvinism book, uh, the, the two guys who wrote that, they're both on that, along with a couple of other colleagues. Um, so that's uh, that's one I enjoy as well. And uh, outside theology, uh, uh, a friend of mine does a podcast called Hollywood Sources, which is all about politics in Scotland. Uh, and certainly at the moment, politics in Scotland is a bit bonkers. And so it's a really, it's a fantastic podcast. And uh, uh, I really enjoy uh, listening to that. Yeah. For a couple of weeks, we were all cheering. We thought that politics was about to get a lot better in Scotland, ah, yes. right? I know. I know. We were uh, we were hopeful, but yeah. I mean, it's it's been yeah. a really fascinating time. So yeah, it's been really interesting. yeah, yeah. Well, Thomas, thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Before we let you go, uh, please do take a moment to let us know your closing thoughts. Also, let people know how they can keep in touch with you on social media. Great, thanks. Well, in terms of in terms of social media, I'm not I'm not a massive. Uh, social media user myself, but um, I do actually do a podcast with a friend of mine, uh, Andy Longway, who's a minister in London, uh, and we we have a podcast called uh, the Jesus Today podcast. And so uh, you can you can connect with us through Twitter. It's Jesus Today Pod, uh, and you can follow us that way and 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 connect with us through through that. And uh, you can listen to the podcast if you want to as well. It's uh, uh, the aim of it is to to just uh, think through some of the kind of current issues and challenges we face today as we want to follow Jesus. So we'd, uh, uh, we started that earlier in the year and we've been encouraged with how it's going. Um, I think my, my, my closing thoughts just more more widely, um, I mean, I know that this probably sounds like a kind of a, uh, I don't want this to sound like a simplistic piece of advice, but I really, really want people to remember that God is God and that you are you. And, mm. you know, as you seek to share your faith, just just bask in the fact that God is God. He is God. He is able. He is amazing. And he works through people just like you. You don't have to have this massive personality transplant. You don't have to become amazing at this, that, and the next thing, because God is God. He's able and willing and ready to use incredibly ordinary people. So please, please, please never forget, God is God and you are you. Brilliant. Well, that's a brilliant note to finish on. We're going to make sure that wherever you're listening or watching this interview, that there'll be a link to the um, to the book and also to Thomas's podcast as well. So do check that out wherever you're listening or watching. Thomas, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed speaking to you. 
Thank you so much, David. It's been a pleasure. And to the bar listeners, thank you again for tuning in and make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you can get the show every single Tuesday. And just like today, we have some top, top guests coming up that you do not want to miss out on. And remember to check out the bar podcast website where you can listen to Dwayne's huge archive of interviews, which will keep you nice and busy until next time to laugh for now. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.